up, everyone. Enjoy. Welcome to the fucking show. grind it out here um fuck this out baby big weekend yeah, anything sports. else anything you gotta say before we start good to go let's get it rocking been waiting on you all night as no, always sure. so let's start we just recapped or we just got done with i just say with week 11 of the nfl oh it's still of, going uh, Monday night game's still going on so. no you're right yeah thousand percent moving yeah i think the i think the ravens or the sorry the ram just kicked a go-ahead field goal but let's start with the, the big game last night. Uh, it was hyped up to be one of the bigger games in a while, um, specifically, I guess, from a Raiders standpoint. The Raiders. The Chiefs hung on to defeat the Raiders 35-31. to 31. I guess I'll just start off by I saying. I like that, hung on. <laughs> hung on, yeah. I, I, like guess I'll just, I guess I'll just start off by saying that I was really Come on, give me, give me your, give me your yeah. soliloquy. Give me your yeah, soliloquy. Sure. Let me run it down. Yeah, yeah come on. Um, Let's hear it. Yeah, it, it was tough. Definitely tough afterwards. I thought they, I thought there was a really good chance they won it. They would win it, but as always, their defense kind of let them down. And it, it definitely sucked the first couple of minutes after Mahomes threw that touchdown. But I sat and just thought about it. And the more and more I thought about it, I felt really good because it looked like they were like a live team. And especially coming into this game, I was a little worried that the game was going to be a little too big for them. I mean, we talked about it all the time. I told you that I was a little worried there was a good chance. I thought there was like maybe like a 50% chance that they were going to get blown out. But uh, I I thought the game was going to be a little possibly too big for them with the bulletin bulletin board material with the whole victory lab. Um, Everybody kept saying this is a motivated Chiefs team, the world champs, best team in the league. But I was surprised that the general consensus was that kind of how I was feeling, how if you I mean, I'm not even a moral victory guy, but it seemed like a lot of people were like giving them pats on the back. I mean, I was watching Colin Coward and he said he couldn't remember the last time he led his show with a losing team. Um, and the one thing that I didn't want this game to turn out into was like them getting blown out. And then the narrative being, oh, they uh, were not the narrative, but the go-to would have been just like, oh, they got blown out, their defense didn't practice. But it felt like a like a 15-round, old-school, like 50s heavyweight championship mm-hmm. fight. Absolutely. They were going, they were going blow for blow. Um, I guess I don't really feel – I've never been a big moral victory guy, but they look like they could hang. Obviously, probably the best team in the league right now. And uh, if it's not I, – like I said, not a moral victory guy, but – they look solid. They didn't embarrass themselves. What do you think? Yeah, no, if there ever was a moral victory, I think it was last night. Again, you know, the, Chief, the Chiefs are defending champs. Um, you gave me Mahomes' numbers um, last week, and he was every bit of it. I mean, he was great last night. Um, I'm gonna, I'll start with the Chiefs. Yeah, he, he was great last night. I thought Kelsey was open all night. 
Um, Tyreek Hill did a good job across the middle of the field, and then they really couldn't hit him deep, but he did a good job still being a possession wide receiver. But I think you hit it on the head when you said, uh, yeah, it was a t- it was a long drag out fight. And I thought the Raiders were right there the whole time. And like you said, when, when Witten caught that touchdown with about 30 seconds left, you know, it was probably a little bit more than 30 seconds. Sorry. How much time was left when we caught that touchdown? It was like about a minute. minute maybe, it was like a minute thirty. Minute thirty. Yeah. Again, yeah. you know, you're happy, and and again, as as a fan, you know, you're happy your team takes the lead. But against Mahomes, man, you just left him way too much time. And at the end of the day, man, that that that's kind of what it came down to, if you ask me. Um, but again, if you're the Raiders, I I think you're I think you're happy. I think you definitely were in the game the whole guy. I mean, I thought they controlled the game for most of the game. I thought the fourth quarter was kind of when the Chiefs started to kind of get going, really. Um, I thought the Raiders made some huge plays, especially offensively, man. Waller made some big catches. Renfro had some big catches. I thought Jace Jacobs was good on the ground. And then you look at, like I keep talking about Derek Carr, man. I've never been the de- biggest Derek Carr fan, but he's been showing up lately, and he's been getting this offense moving through the air, not just on the ground, through the air. Um, I thought the defense, again, it's tough with the Raiders when, when, you, when you're playing the Chiefs and you're playing Mahomes. Um, but I thought the Raiders kept them in the game. Obviously, the defense, kept, uh, as I was saying, keep, kept them in the game. Um, down at half, down towards halftime, they made that big play I texted you about. Um, that big, I think it was a seven-point swing when uh, on who was it? What did you say was Lawson Mullen. that had the pick? Mullen, I'm Mullen, sorry, Mullen yeah. had the pick. Yeah, off of I can't remember the receiver. Might have been Hill off the receiver. He tripped off his route. Mullen makes the play. Later, uh, Chiefs don't score at the end of the half. That kind of kept because him in the game. Got the ball back at half. That was huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huge swing. Yeah, but when I look when I look at the Raiders, I, I think it's exactly what you said. You know, you never won for moral victories, but I think it was a moral victory last night, and I think they can take a lot from that game. Um, and again, if you look at it, I mean, they are the only team to beat Kansas City this year. I know the Kansas, I know Kansas City had a tough game against the Chargers, but other than that, I mean, the Raiders have played them tougher than anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. No. So I mean, spinning it forward, I think you look at Kansas City and you look at the Raiders and and offensively, I don't really see much difference right now. I know it's crazy that's to say, but the Raiders are really moving on offense. Their offense has been playing well. Um, now, does that mean in January they can go to Kansas City and week out a game? I mean, who knows? Obviously, that, that's that's a lot that's a lot longer down the line. But uh, what, what I think it shows with the Raiders is this Carr and Gruden thing is really working. And coming into the season, that was a huge thing. All the pressure was on Carr. All the pressure was on Gruden with the big money they're on. And I think you can see Carr getting better and better every week. You can see this team getting better and better every week. Obviously, I think they just need a little bit more talent on the defense. I mean, you've been telling me for years how they just have no talent on the defense. Um, I would say Abrams is probably the most talented defensive player up, up up there with Crosby. And those guys are still young and those guys are still progressing. So, you know, you keep telling me about – you always told me about the Raiders and how they just bring in these Band-Aid players to kind of one year and just kind of cover cover, you know, fill a position. I think yeah. they need to get some young guys in there, let them play, and they are, especially in the second term. You're letting Abrams play through his mistakes. You're letting Mullen play through his mistakes. You're letting Isaiah Johnson play through his mistakes. These are all young guys. You look at the D-line as well, and you look at Crosby, and you look at Farrell. No Farrell didn't play yesterday. And then, obviously, you know you need to get a little bit more youth in the linebacking core. Uh, but this is going to happen. Again, with, with a team like the Raiders that don't have a lot of talent on their defense, you just got to let the young guys play, and you just kind of throw them out there, and they're going to make mistakes especially against a great offense against Mahomes. And that last touchdown by Mahomes was a really great play. Uh, I know he, I know everybody was kind of getting on uh, Abrams about, you know, kind of coming up because he was really in no man's land. You know, he dropped kind of in his coverage, and as Kelsey's running by him, Mahomes is sort of stepping up in the pocket and, and kind of coming towards the line of scrimmage, and Abrams leaves Kelsey, leaves him wide open. That's a tough play, man, for Abrams to kind of be sitting there. And Abrams isn't much of a cover guy. I mean, Abrams loved to hang out around the line of scrimmage, 
and make plays around the line of scrimmage and, and make tackles and make big hits. So if we drop him in coverage like that in the biggest play of the game, that's tough. No, just to go off what you were saying, yeah, the way – I mean, I feel like he does it all the time, the way – I mean, especially with these mobile quarterbacks nowadays, especially with Mahomes, just the way they manipulate zone coverages where they, mm-hmm. they'll they move they'll move out of the pocket and move, like, towards the line of scrimmage, and then you'll pull a defender, and then right there you have a passing lane. But, it's it's the same thing that it's the same thing that Kyler Murray's great at. I talked about it Kyler, a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was last it week. It was, yeah, exactly. Russell Kyler again. It, it, it's crazy. it's moving up, stepping up in the pocket with Don't the threat care. of running, but keeping your eyes downfield. It, mm-hmm. It's it just. I mean, it makes though. I mean, you would say those three guys and Josh Allen as well. Yeah, three guys that can move really well, but they also still keep their passing in mind and really make it a first option. You know, Mahomes, you don't think he's a first option runner. He's a first option thrower. And that's just so dangerous when you have the speed of the legs. And, and we're going to get into Lamar in a little bit. But again, it, it's, it's what I told you the difference between Lamar and Kyler is right now. Kyler's always looking downfield. Mahomes is always looking downfield for the big play. And they use their ability to run and their ability to make plays out of the pocket to be in defenders like Abrams did. Again, I, 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 I'm not as hard probably in Abrams as Raider fans are going to be because I think it, I know how tough that a spot that is. Um, but again, you're just in no man's land right there. When you start coming towards line scrimmage, you're never going to make that play on Mahomes. Um, you just kind of got to stay back in coverage. What'd you think of that last play? No, not, well, specifically, not even specific to the last play. I felt like there could have been 45 seconds left. There could have been a minute 30. There could have been four minutes left. It, I think the game was kind of over. I feel like Mahomes does that to I, I read, 90% I read something when the, I read something when the Raiders got that touchdown. That even live betting, or I think I was listening to something. That live betting, again, you said it was what a minute twenty or, or whatever it was. It was like a minute thirty, uh, something like that. A minute. The Raiders, yeah, got, minute, Raiders and, got the ball back with like twenty-eight seconds left. Yeah, yeah. Again, I I read it something that that, that even the chief when the Chiefs were down like that, they were only about they were only about a plus one twenty underdog, That's which crazy. is crazy to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, it, again, it, like you said, they still gave him twenty-eight seconds. Yeah. Um, what what would have what would have made you comfortable? I mean, with Mahomes. No, I mean, under forty five seconds. Anything? Nothing. No, that just the, yeah. how, effort, how effortlessly they're able to move the ball. I mean, I've said it for as long as I can remember. Ever since they lost Mac, they they just really lack playmakers and need a lot of playmakers. Um, yeah, I just I, one of the one things I, one of the things I really wanted to hit on is just I I don't want I don't necessarily want to use the word talent, but they just really don't have a lot of playmakers on the defense, and that right. comes into talent. Like I said, you know I like Crosby. I think Farrell, you know, still is young and still needs to live up to that fourth pick. Abrams was obviously a first pick. Um, Arnett yeah. is the quarterback, right? Arnett made yeah. a couple plays, but these guys are these guys are just young. These guys are just young. They need to grow into their spots. Um, la- last thing to kind of touch on the Raiders defense. Um, have what have you seen? I mean, because it seems like every week, you know, these guys like Abrams and Arnett and, and and are not practicing. You know, they're on the COVID list. I mean, what do you what do you do? You think it's just something they deal with? Do you think it actually is really affecting them? I mean, I know the Raiders aren't a, aren't going to be a no, dominant defense. I think, no, I think with it's all the practice, practice they can have. What what do you what do you say to to the whole COVID thing with the Raiders and how it's playing with them? How how it's been with them? Because it's it's been a big story, but again, oh, for sure. they're still yeah. you know they're still kind of pushing through it, and and you got to give credit to Gruden with that. But just to kind of just to kind of give a whole overview of the COVID this year with the Raiders, because they've been, I mean, I would say the team in the, with the most headlines. I don't know it was Tennessee early, Pittsburgh had some stuff, Baltimore had some stuff today. Yeah, but, I mean the Raiders have been. I mean they're the only team to get fined with it. So, I mean, give me the whole overview, of you, your feelings on the Raiders and, and the whole COVID thing. No, you're right. Um, losing Trent Brown, he's been out for. I can't remember the last time he played a game. The defense, it doesn't help. 
especially once one, I mean, they've been dealing with it for a while now, especially you're going against the Chiefs on Sunday night. And then, I mean, to begin with, you're not that very talented, very limited. It sucks. You got to deal with it. Uh, I don't know if you did. You, I don't know if you saw Paul Gunther at a press conference saying that. Paul Gunther pretty much said the defensive coordinator for the Raiders said that even if they did get a full a full practice weekend, it's still going to be really difficult. There's only so much. I mean, you're still giving the ball back to Mahomes with a minute 20 Uh, and you're still not in a good spot. One other thing before we move on, two more things I want to talk about is one, yeah, when you're talking about Derek Carr, this is probably the best I've ever seen him play. Everybody's saying he's He's playing well, man. He's playing well. I I love his, I don't mean to interrupt you. I love his pre-snap stuff that he's doing. Again, some of those audibles are probably some fake shit and some phony stuff, but I love just the command he looks like he has. On yeah. every guy, you know, it's I, uncomfortable. It was that play. There was that play where I believe it was third down, right? Second or third down. They were about at the twenty, and and he calls up the cover zero. I don't, you, I'm sure you you saw that. Yeah. He calls up the cover zero, and he's telling Henry Ruggs he needs him because Henry Ruggs is a speedster. Um, to still recognize that coverage and get that playoff, and obviously draw the pass interference like he did. What that pass interference did, just just to just to finish up on the play. What it was was, it was cover zero. Everybody's coming, and, and you know, obviously he tells Ruggs he recognizes it. He lets the guys know. They all go vert, and he still is able to get the throw off and make a decent enough throw to to, to Aguilar to where the defender had to get his hand in and kind of grab Aguilar's hand. But but the tough thing that that did was that put them first in goal, and that puts mm-hmm. them first in goal with about two minutes and twenty seconds. And what I thought they they should have done, which again it's it's hard to to play you know Monday Monday yeah Monday morning quarterback now, but what they did was I think they waited a while. I think they might even got to like third down before it got to the two minute warning. So what it was was first and 10, I believe, with about two minutes and 30 seconds. I'm sorry, first and goal with about two minutes and 30 seconds. If, I, if I'm the Raiders right there, I think you look back at it and say, maybe just run the ball right there and make Kansas City use a timeout or make them go all the way down to the two-minute warning. You know, they kind of got it. I think they ran first and second down. I think they passed twice. They might have had the angle drop. And you're still under the two-minute warning. So, you know, you're still in the back of your head. You're, you're goal to go, so you don't have a lot of plays left. You only have max four plays left and there's penalties and stuff. And so you're really looking at it and you're saying, we're going to give Mahomes back a good amount of time on the ball with, with the ball back. You kind of oh, catching right. my drift? Yeah, yeah, for sure. The first thing I thought about when they had it was just, it was just, an, it was just an interesting, it was just so many things to juggle. Kind of manage There's so many things yeah, to juggle. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, you're not going to apologize for scoring, but at the end no, of the day, you're never. giving the ball back to Mahomes. Um, yeah. Just to put a bow on it, I just wanted to say just one more thing. I know that I feel like. The Raiders are going to get a lot of hype after this game. Like, there's probably what – I think on average there's like 15 million people that watch Sunday Night Football. I think they're going to get a lot of hype, a lot of love. Like I said, Coward was talking about how he's never led with a – can't remember the last time he led with a losing team. The Raiders cannot – they have a couple winnable games. We talked about winnable games before. They have a couple mm-hmm. winnable games coming up. They play – what do you think the – I don't know if you've seen the line. What, what do you think the line is? They're going to Atlanta. What do you think the line is there? I think I was looking at that today. I'm going to take a guess. I think I saw – Raiders minus two. Yeah, it was like minus two, minus three. It opened up a pick 'em. So I, I mean, that's one of those games where I mean, we talk about all the time. <laughs> it just looks too you, good. You got to take care of business. You know what the funny thing is? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get into it already, but remember we were talking about how the Raiders were like only like three, three and a half. I think it was four against the Broncos, and then it was a similar line with the Broncos and the Dolphins, and the Broncos yeah. got the better of Miami. I thought. That easily could have been the Raiders game. Where it's just one of those games, man. It's like, yeah, it's just one of those games. You look at it, it's like so close. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Vegas, they, Vegas obviously knows something we don't. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, they like I said, they they got a couple winnable games. I don't want them to be reading their own press clippings. They have a couple winnable games with the they go to Atlanta and then they oh actually yeah they go to Atlanta. I think they go to the Jets or they host the Jets next. So a couple winnable mm-hmm. games. I think they start the they, Giants right. I think, I think they might. I have to look at the schedule, but I know all after. I believe that, I believe they have the I believe they have the uh, the 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 Giants, but we'll have to look at it. Just, just, just real quick, just real quick to wrap up on the Raiders. I mean, moving forward, what do you think? What What do you want to see? As, because again, obviously the division is yeah. probably cut far out. Of, what do you want to see heading into the playoffs? I mean, what would be a successful season for you? I know it's kind of um, tough to spin it forward and look. I mean, no, for sure. You obviously want to get into the playoffs, and you want to look. For me, if I if I'm a Raider fan, just quickly before you get in there, I just want to see this defense and these young guys step up and play a little bit better. Again, yeah. I mentioned them that they don't have a lot of talent on the defense, and a lot of their big money is obviously on the offense. To Brown, to Hudson, Jacobs is going to get paid soon. Obviously, Carr got paid. Um, I, I just need. I think you need to see these young guys like Crosby, like Farrell, like Arden Key. Uh, like the secondary and Isaiah Johnson, uh, Arnett, Abrams. You just want to see these guys play well because they are still young, but you want to see them just keep progressing. And, again, the mistakes they make are going to happen, but you want to see them kind of as you go on. Obviously, every week you're not going to play Kansas City. Um, So as you go on, I think you want to see them, like you said, put these games away earlier and really don't have to lay lay it on your defense late like they did kind of in Denver and and like they did in Cleveland. No, you're right, yeah. I mean, the defense – I mean, we've been saying all season how the defense is incredibly shaky, but I mean, just going forward, every every game going forward will be a little bit more important. So I think just being in those key moments, I mean, you said it countless times, the bend but don't break. I mean, uh, just going forward, every game is going to be so much more important. So in those key spots, they just got to be a little bit better. They got to be able to make a play every once in a while. Here's their, here's their schedule. So they go to Atlanta, they go to the Jets, home for the Colts, that's a big game. Home for the Chargers, that's a big game. Home for the Dolphins, that's a big game. And then they close going to Mile High to play the Broncos. So, I mean, there's winnable games there. I think at this point – Winnable games. There's some tough ones, though. Miami, Indy. Yeah, it would be – at this point in time, I think it would be a huge disappointment if they didn't make the playoffs. But um, we'll see. I mean, I've seen them. I I would not be shocked if they lost against the Falcons. That would kind of, like – Kill a lot of them. That'd be that'd be that'd be enough. kind of the that'd be kind of the Raider thing to do with the past couple of years. No, thousand percent. Like I said, it, everybody hyping them up after this loss. It, it, I don't know. To put a bow on it, though, and one, one last thing, I, I don't think this is a Raiders team of the past. I think this is a new Raiders team, and, and I really like where they're going. I like the way Carr's playing. I like the way the offense is playing. Again, I think there's young guys in some key spots. You know, in the secondary, on the D line. Where, where you could say, you know, these guys are improving. And, again, the, every game is going to get bigger. And in a game like this, I think they should be just oozing with confidence after it. All right, so let's go into this Ravens game. The Titans defeated the Ravens by a score of 30-24. to 24. Game went into overtime. Um, just to kind of set the table, I guess, coming into this game, it seemed like these teams, both teams came in at 6-3, and three, uh, a lot of playoff implications. The Titans came in one and three in their last four. The Ravens one and two in their last two, or one and two in their last three. Both teams coming in pretty desperate. Um, where do you want to take this? Offense, defense. I'll let you uh, give you the floor. Ah, uh, it's tough shit. It was tough shit. It was another week of uh, watching my Ravens just barely, barely swimming above water and barely just uh, hanging on. It, it, it's been tough, man. It, it was a little better offensively today. 
but it's the same old stuff, man. I've been saying it for the past since we started the fucking podcast. Um, the, these receivers just can't get open. Lamar has no rhythm to it. The defense is actually regressing. I mean, they've looked worse and worse every single week. The tackling was absolutely horrible this week. I mean, the, the, the knock on Marcus Peters has always been his tackling, and, and he, he he hasn't gotten any better. It, it, it stays true. Um, without Calais Campbell, without Brandon Williams, I mean, again, the last two weeks we have just been cut up on the run. I understand the Patriots and, and Titans are both run-heavy teams, but this just isn't the Ravens' defense that I saw earlier in the season towards the end of last year. Um, and if you look at it, you look at it from, from, you know, a Ravens perspective, these are the games that you have to win. I mean, these games against the Titans, uh, against the Titans right there in the standings, right there next to us, you have to win these games and you had to find a way to win it. And you just didn't. And again, offensively, I already touched on the defense offensively. It's just been bad. Lamar has not been in rhythm. Hollywood Brown. Uh, uh, Willie Sneed. I mean, they Des Bryant caught a couple passes, but these guys just can't get open down the field. The only really guy that can get open down the field is Mark Andrews, and that's just not enough at this point. Um, the run game, w w the run game has been carrying us. Lamar's feet has been carrying us, and, and just kind of getting us to the finish line, and we just can't seem to get over it. Uh, especially, like I said last week against New England, and it was kind of the same game here against Tennessee. You know, you just felt like with the Ravens with the ball, they were going to do just enough to stay in the game, but not win the game. I think the one thing, the one play, I mean, you probably know where I'm going with this, but if I had to pinpoint this game, I think a lot of people were talking about is that third and 10 to A.J. Brown where he catches the ball at the nine-yard line and he carries guys into the end zone. There's like five guys that had a chance mm -hmm. to tackle him. He's a beast. Um, yep, he's a beast. It was, it was poor tackling. Yeah, no, it was poor tackling. And, and you know, you got to give credit to Tennessee. I think Tennessee, they're kind of a heckle and jive team. A heckle, what is it? Heckle, what is it called? Heckle and chive? Heckle and chive? Echel and Jide? I think it's a whatever it is. What, what what do you think it is? I think it's I think it's Doctor something. Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Doctor Heckle and Mister whatever it is. I, yeah, I Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Whatever it is. Yeah, that's what they're it a is. team that just you just never know where you're going to get with them. You know they they were favorites going into that indie game on Thursday a couple weeks ago, and they get actually shellacked. Um, what I'll say about Tennessee is they just have playmakers. That guy AJ Brown, man, he's a beast. He continued to make plays. Again, he didn't have a big score line. He didn't a stat line. I think I checked it after the game. I was like, how many passes did he catch? He felt like he caught 10. I think he only caught four or five for like 64 yards. But that touchdown was huge. I mean, he's a playmaker. He's a guy that's hard to tackle. And in a big game like that, it, you don't want to tackle if you're the Ravens. He's going to drag him into the end zone like he did. And then, obviously, you know, you look at Derrick Henry. I mean, Derrick Henry's killed the Ravens the last two times. It's the same thing. If you don't want to tackle, these guys on Tennessee, man, they're going to run you over, and they're going to overpower you. And that's just something you don't say about Baltimore, and that's just something you don't you don't think of when you think of the Ravens. You think of the tough power defense, but they've really gotten away from that. And this defense has been bad lately, really bad. Today it looks like the news broke of uh... – Dobbins and Ingram testing positive for, tested positive for COVID. They're pretty much out for that Thanksgiving game. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. about that? And then I guess four games back at the Steelers, going to go play them on Thursday. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. I mean, I mean, we just touched on the Raiders and, and the and the progress and the stuff we have with the Raiders. I mean, we're we're behind the Raiders in the standings, I believe. Um, I don't know if you want. To, can you pull up the last the, the last kind of spots in the wild card? Because I think yeah, I mean, the division. I think the, I think the Raiders have the last spot right now. Mm -hmm. And then you yeah, look at Cleveland. Know. Cleveland won. Cleveland won again this week. Yeah, they're. they're what, are the, what are the standings right now? Um, what is it? Five, uh, five. What is five, six, seven, eight? Five, six, seven. I'm seeing the Titans are in that fifth seed. They got the first wild card with, with a tiebreaker already over the Baltimore. Yeah. Have they? No, no. 
Um, and the Browns at six and the Raiders at seven. Um, yeah, so like, Ravens, you're, the you're looking up six and four. You're looking up at three teams, and right now, I mean, I, I don't feel good about the Ravens. I don't think they're better than – they're not playing better than the Raiders right now. We just touched on the Raiders' schedule. The Ravens have a favorable schedule. I know they have another They have game, another game against Cleveland. Um, I know they play Cincinnati. I know they play the Jets, and I think they play the Giants. Um, but as far as this game on Thursday, man, I, I'm not feeling confident going into it at all. Listen, oh, I, I don't half, see the Ravens right? – I think the line's only yeah, I, don't, I was surprised to see that. I don't see the Ravens uh-huh. – again, this is the Ravens-Steelers. I don't see the Ravens going in there and getting blown out. But I just don't see at the end of the day the Ravens making enough plays. Um, it's a rivalry game. It's Ravens Steelers. It's always going to be tough. It's always going to be, you know, a knockdown drag out fight. It's going to be one of those 15 round fights that you just brought up with the Raiders chiefs, but I just don't see the Ravens having enough late to, to kind of push forward. And again, the Ravens need a, a bye week. They don't, they don't need a, a game moved up to Thursday like they have right now. Um, it's tough, man. It's, it's all tough. They have no rhythm offensively. Their best thing has been on the ground, like you said, with, with, with Dobbins and, <laughs> and those guys. Just and we just got back Mark. Yeah. We just got back Mark Ingram. Um, obviously, I think this facility was shut down today. Um, it's going to be a tough trip. I think they have to leave. Obviously, you know, they're headed out to Pittsburgh. They got to play that on Thursday. Uh, I, I don't have real a lot of expectations. Again, it's a it's a division game, so we could really go either way. They could come out and surprise me, but I'm not feeling too confident about it. All right, so we talked about the Raiders. We talked about the Ravens. We're going to do a little just hits around the league. wanted to give a little shout-out to the Dallas Cowboys, who won their third game this year defeated How about them Cowboys? 31 to 28 I, I have I have a not a stat but just like um just a little nugget for you that's probably gonna blow your mind it, it blew my mind currently the Cowboys are a half game back of the division right and currently hold the number four draft pick <laughs> no they don't they do no, they don't. yeah they do oh, the, the tankathon website tweeted that is that uh, not like the perfect scenario to be in? Well, the thing is, though, if they win the division, I think they automatically I, yeah. are like in the upper half of the draft. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know about that. That that would be something to look up. They don't, the only I've been thinking about this with the NFC. I know we were talking about the NFCs. The only team I can really remember that was really years ago how bad that Seattle team was, but even they were like seven, I believe, eight and one or seven and nine, and they went. They division. Went to, yeah, they beat the Saints. They went on the road and beat the Saints. That was the Marshawn game. Yeah, that that yeah, that was the Marshawn Lynch game, right? Yeah, that was the that was the, yeah, the beast mode game, the whole the whole my dick game. Yeah, yeah. So, no, d- yeah, no, big game, big win for the Cowboys. They got Andy Dalton back. It looked like Zeke was back. Man, Stevie Lamb is special. Man, he made some catches yesterday that yeah. was incredible. Man, that that touchdown was incredible. You know, it, it, it's it, there's a lot of good rookie wide receivers out there, man, uh, playing and and I, and CD might be the best of them. I mean, he's really good. Obviously, he's sometimes even the third option with Gallup and, and Cooper. But, man, he, he really put what, – what I think we talked about a couple weeks ago, I think it was after – what was their what was their real big loss that we talked about? And uh, who, who did they – who was it against? Was uh, maybe it was the Washington game. The no, Washington, it was the Washington yeah. game because they actually showed up against Washington. It was the Washington game. Um, and we talked about, you know, how they just weren't playing for McCarthy. It didn't look like they wanted to be out there. And they looked like they had no real morale. It was the game Dalton got hurt. Um, and then it was heading into the Eagle game. We just said we wanted to see some fight from them. There's fight in Dallas. You know, what, Minnesota was a team that was hot. They were just coming off a couple wins. They just, we, I think they just beat Green Bay. Yeah. And, and Bay, the Cowboys yeah. showed up. Yeah. The Cowboys showed up. And that offense looked like a lot better than it has been. Um, did you see that report about what McCarthy did in the locker room or, no, or something like that? What did he do? <laughs> he was, he, let, me, let me bring it up. But no, no, it, it, it's been a lot better. And as a Cowboy fan, I, I'd be pretty. 
again, it's kind of like devil's advocate at devil's advocate because you just said they are. Um, uh, what do they have? The fourth pick in the draft. Yeah, I early. believe they're still in last place, but going they're going into Washington. I'd favor them in that Washington game. And again, another tough, tough performance by Carson Wentz. Man, he has looked awful this year. Another every time I think they cut to that game, he seemed like he was throwing a pick. I know they got a garbage late touchdown to to cut it to one score, but Carson Wentz has not Did looked you, good. I don't. I was just gonna go say ahead. that first that first interception he threw to the little swing route. That looked like yeah. a ball. That looked like a ball you throw <laughs> up when you're playing three flags up. Yeah, it, it was bad, man. He he has been bad, and they, they you know for the first time I think they even asked Doug Peterson after the game, you know. Are you sticking with with Carson Wentz? And if I'm a Cowboy fan, if I'm a Redskin fan, if I'm a Giant fan, for that is music to my ears. I am rooting to keep Carson Wentz in there. The crazy so, thing again, is, the crazy thing is, it's not like they drafted a quarterback in the second round, right? They have freaking Jalen Hurts on the bench. <laughs> yeah, they're not gonna give this is, guy a shot. Is, draft him in the second round. That's crazy. That is correct. So read this about Mike McCarthy. This is what I was looking at earlier today. Looking for a way to inspire his team before Sunday's game against the Minnesota Vikings, Coach Mike McCarthy took a page out of longtime prop comics book and smashed a number of watermelons with a sledgehammer at Saturday night meeting. A number of players also joined in McCarthy, looked to hammer home points, as Mike McCarthy looked to hammer points home of emphasis. <laughs> that was messy. He was smashing watermelons <laughs> with a hammer? Yeah, that's what he said. Not think, only was the sledgehammer... You think was on cleanup duty? <laughs> yeah, that's what he was on cleanup duty. It says the sledgehammer was not was also brought on the team plane. That's the beauty of flying charter. McCarthy said jokingly. So were the watermelons. That's awesome. No, but again, I mean, think about how it's just changed. One eighty, complete one eighty, and think about how it hasn't changed in Philly. You know, the morale in, in Dallas is obviously better. They're heading into Thanksgiving, trending, uh, feeling good yeah, about trending up, They got yeah. a winnable game against Washington. They are trending up, and man, Philly is just trending down. And, and looking at Wentz, man, that is a lot of money he's gotten paid already. And it's tough, man. It's real tough. So, again, we talked about it last week. We liked the way the Cowboys have been playing. We liked the way they played in Philly. We said it, you know, it was sort of, it was sort of inspiring performance. Definitely an inspiring performance against, against uh, the Steelers. And this week against uh, against the Vikings, as I think they were a seven point dog at home, they showed up, man, and they they, they hit that money line. So good for them. And then moving forward, again, they're the most talented team in that division. No, it's not even close. You know, and with a competent quarterback like Dalton, if Dalton can just make plays like he did, you know, get the ball to CeeDee Lamb, get it to Cooper, get it to get, get Zeke going. I, I move it forward. I like these Cowboys. No, I like them. They look Dalton look good. Dalton look freaking good. Like we, he, he look, like we talked solid. about, isn't it? Isn't it just funner to have the Cowboys? Isn't no, that Thanksgiving sure. game just? Isn't that Thanksgiving game just so much funner now? No, a million. That's percent. actually a meaningful game for the Cowboys. You know, if the Cowboys were just laying down. And they were just, you know, kind of like they were a couple weeks ago. That that Thanksgiving to be hard watch. Now I'm watching it, man. You know, I'll probably bet on the Cowboys. I, I, I think it's it's just a lot. Again, it's, the NFL is a lot funner when the Cowboys are around and the Cowboys are relevant, and they're one thousand percent relevant. The, the one thing, the one, the reason, the, the reason the Cowboys are relevant is because one thing I wanted to hit on is I don't think I've ever seen anything in my adult football watching life and as uh, the NFC East. I, I don't even know what's happening. I think a six-win team might host a playoff game. It's certainly looking like it. I think the Cowboys have three wins, correct? Yeah. But they have a – let, see. let me bring up their schedule. I'm, I was reading yeah, something, yeah. but they have a favorable schedule. I know they got Baltimore in a couple weeks. I know they yeah, still yeah, have yeah. a game against the Eagles. They got Washington this week. 
So they, I mean, so Thanksgiving, obviously, they host the Redskins. They go to Baltimore, and they go to Cincy, the Joe Burrowless Bengals. Eesh. And then they had oh Sunday night. They have the Niners at home. That could be a big game. And then they home for Philly, and then they close out going to play the Giants. The Giants there. game. That's the Giants. That the Giants game going to be five and ten. Going to be five and ten versus five and ten for the division. That Sunday night game. It's a ten a.m. kick. <laughs> flex. I think you got to flex it. I think you flex it to Jerry if that, World. If that, if that decides, you flex, the, it, flex it to Jerry World. You put eighty thousand fans in the seats. You know, you say screw COVID for one week and and you get going for the division. No biggie. Taking a look at the rest of the league. Let's head on Taysom Hill. We actually talked about Taysom Hill. We've been talking about Taysom the Hill. Pocket, the pocket knife quarterback himself. Yeah, he threw. So right here, I have it right here. He was 18 of 23, two drops, apparently. And then he threw for 233 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. He did run the ball 10 times for 51 yards and two touchdowns. Did, did he, he catch gone. a pass? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say is. Did he are catch you, a pass? And how, and how many, hold on, how many tackles did he have? <laughs> did they did so. they take him off kickoff and stuff? I think Jameis took his duties. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Jameis took it. No, Jameis goes, uh, wait, can I do it? Can I do what he did? No, but from my understanding, are you are you ready for? Because I think they play. Let me see who they play. They play somebody like terrible this week. So they play. Let me see. Let me pull it up. Actually, I believe they played Denver. Yeah. So they play. So are you prepared for? Because I think Drew Brees is gonna be back in a couple weeks. Are you prepared for? Taysom Hill to go three and zero, and then it's going to be a whole. He'll probably never start again for this the rest of the year. Are you ready for whole offseason talk of three and zero Taysom Hill? Because he's going to play. You already beat the Falcons. It's going to happen. The Broncos, no, it's gonna and, happen. Then, and then they're going to play the Falcons again. Listen, every time they cut to that game uh, at red zone, it, it just looked like it was a gadget play. It just didn't look like a normal drop back, you oh. know, shotgun play. It always just looked like he was scrambling out of the pocket, like he was running for his life, and he just heaved it down the field. Um, hey, you got to give him credit. Like you said, he went in there. He started his first NFL game. Congrats on his first NFL win. I still don't buy him to it. I mean, they had the whole thing this week of, you know, was he a tight end on fantasy or wasn't he? And now they're saying he's not, and they took him off the tight end thing. It, it, it's just a whole thing. So credit to him. But, um, no, I'm still not I'm still not buying into it. I think that the only path for them to win is, is with Drew Brees. But, no, it, it's absolutely going to happen like that, like you just laid out. Um, you know, just like look at what happened with Teddy Bridgewater. I know different situation, and Teddy Bridgewater's a drop back quarterback. But where did he go last year? Five and one, six and zero with the Saints. I think one. You know, yeah. Carolina. Carolina plays in big money, and and there you go. Somebody, like I said a couple weeks ago, somebody's going to turn the keys over to Taysom Hill's offseason. And you know what? If you're the Saints, he's had the most success with you. Who knows? You know, does Drew Brees come back for one more year and take a big pay cut? And you know, they kind of do the half and half. Uh, who 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 knows? But uh, no, give him credit. Like I said, I'm still I still don't buy into it. I, I still think he's that pocket knife quarterback that everybody talks about. But uh uh give him credit, man. He, he's winning games. You talk to Jake. What do you have to say about it? Is he all hype? Uh he's he, all he, he he's all hype. he's all in. Oh, he's, he's yeah, he's he's tasting hill, he's tasting hill to the bears all the way. No, is, is he really? <laughs> I don't know. Probably. If you were a Bears fan, wouldn't you be? No. I, you know it's funny, another thing about Jake, one thing that I wanted to touch on was PJ Walker and the Panthers shut out the yeah. Lions 20 to 0. Yes, sir. So yeah, just I like one PJ thing, Walker. We need to get Jake on the podcast. So I was gonna ask him one. Did PJ Walker come from the XFL or the AAF? And then second question would be, 
What what is the difference between XFL and AAF? Because if you told me they were the same thing, I, w- I would believe you. Uh, you have officially stumped the Schwab because I have no fucking idea. <laughs> so that, definitely, Jacob, I think is going to have to be. Uh, no, that's a perfect. Jay, that's a perfect Jacob question. That's a perfect Jacob though. question because he'll give know he'll, every. He'll probably tell you where where PJ Walker went to high school. So no, probably. No, he's a big PJ Walker guy. He's a big Taysom Hill guy. So uh, maybe maybe in Reno next weekend we shoot the podcast uh, with him and uh, after the day of football. Maybe get Mr. Campos on here too. He'll be there, so uh, we can we can get his thoughts on all this. The PJ Walker, uh, the PJ Walker show. Good for uh, him. Yeah, he got his first NFL win as well. Oh, no, that's huge. Him. Good for them. Anything else that uh, caught your eye in the NFL? Uh, no. Who scores. ended up winning that Tampa Bay game? The Rams, twenty-seven, twenty-four. Wow. So the the uh, which one got the ball back and never they scored? No, they didn't score. Wow. I know I'm good on it. So let's do the Thanksgiving slate. Um, Hope everybody enjoys their Thanksgiving. Hope everybody's able to catch the football. But we got the 9:30 kick. Texans at Lions. Any thoughts on that game? God. Uh, You know what? This game. The only thing that I'm interested about this game is to see if the Lions score because they were never scoring in Carolina this week. (laughs) They shot to that game a couple times, and I believe Matthew Stafford threw a red zone pick. I know for a fact Matt Prater missed the field goal. I got him in two of my fantasy leagues, and the dude got me my negative one fantasy point. He was 0 for 1. The kicker got with you field goal. Yes, check it out. It, it was it was terrible. Um, Deshaun Watson, he's fun. He's a little frisky uh, throwing the ball. Um, it should be a fun game. Again, it's fun to watch Matt Patricia kind of just watch him lose his job because he ain't coming back next just year. Pretend. Um, the whole Romeo pretender. Cren- yeah, the whole <laughs> yeah, the whole Romeo Cornell and uh, and Patricia thing. That should be interesting. So uh, you got any thoughts on it? I doubt it, right? No, I, I really got nothing. I, I don't know how. No, get to the prime. Get to the prime time game next. What's the next game? No, let's talk about the best uh, game of the day. America's the best game, game of the, of the week. week. Alex America's Smith. Game of the week. Alex Smith returning, almost lost his leg. Gonna go travel to Jerry's World for the one thirty kick game against the Cowboys. I love it. I love it. one of my favorite things about Thanksgiving. Every year you get the Cowboys on. You get a hot one. You get a hot. Fucking Cowboys team coming on a one-game winning streak. I love it, man. I love this team. I mean, hope maybe McCarthy smashes some turkeys this week. I I don't know. I'd love to see. I would love to see uh, Rod Marinelli eat a turkey leg on Thanksgiving. That'd be pretty sweet. Isn't he still coaching for the Cowboys? No, he's a defensive line coach for the Raiders. Ah, he's coaching for the Raiders. Well, maybe they can uh, fly him in. Maybe they can fly him in and get him a turkey leg. They did that a couple years ago because he was the defensive coordinator. And I think they like let they they had like a uh, team high sack or something, so they brought him over and they had him smash the turkey leg. Right <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, it was pretty sweet. He's I forgot he's on the Raiders now. No, but uh, yeah, the the Thanksgiving Cowboys game doesn't it kind of feel like Jerry's like Jerry Jones like himself feels like a part of the family when you're watching the Cowboys on Thanksgiving every year. It it just feels like he's a part of your life on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's fun stuff. Again, it's the Cowboys time. are fun. It's a good They're must-see TV. They're America's team. They're like the Yankees. They're like the Lakers. You know, you, you just have to watch if they're on. And, again, it's a game. It's a game that they got to win. It's interesting. They win this game. They go into first place, obviously, awaiting the Philly uh, result. But um, it's fun stuff, man. It's, it's, it's hopefully this Cowboy team can rally. You know, you start putting these wins together. You get up to six. You win the division. So that's going to cap off our NFL talk. And now we're going to talk about UFC 255. Davidson Figueredo, the flyweight champion, defending his belt, submitted Alex Perez. It was a pretty chalky night. Favorites won. Shevchenko took care of Maya. I think she only dropped around. 
but that went to the decision. She retained her belt. Um, where do you platinum went down. Where do you want to go with it? Oh, platinum, Mike Perry. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mike no, Perry it wasn't, it, took the out. Uh, yeah. Where do you want to go with this? Uh, it wasn't the best night of fights. Uh, there was a couple of them that were good, a couple of good performances. Uh, the, the viral guy, Joaquin Buckley, uh, he was the last uh, fight on the prelims. He's the guy that had the spinning leg kick a few weeks ago that went viral. Uh, he had another TKO win. Um, you talked about Shevchenko. It was funny. She she lost the second round of the fight. She's such a dominant champion. She lost the second round of the fight pretty clearly, and everybody was losing their mind, and she actually dropped from live from, like, minus 800 to, like, minus 300, which, again, is, is crazy to, to say how big of a favorite she was. Um, no, nah, but Figueredo, man, just to, just to just, again, not a lot to talk about. It was a pretty uh, standard night as a pay-per-view, but Figueredo's a beast, man. The, the, the guy the guy's finishing guys at 125 and, and for a lower weight class like that that didn't have a lot of stars after Cejudo left after Demetrius Johnson left that organization um Figueredo's that next star man and, and I think he can really propel the division uh it was an interesting finish because you know on the feet Alex Perez was actually doing pretty well um and then they kind of got into a ch exchange and Alex Perez looked like he kind of went for like a leg lock and as he went for the leg lock Figueredo kind of dove in and they kind of scrambled for a minute, and it ended up with Figueredo on the bottom. But he was able to get the submission, uh, get the get the choke in. And as he was kind of cranking on Perez's neck, it looked like Perez could kind of pull his head out. And then as he was pulling his head out, it just he never was able to get it out. And Figueredo just kept cranking. And with about ten seconds left, uh, Perez hit the tap, and and that was it. So again, it was an exciting fight. The last two figure of Figueredo's fights against Joe Benavides were exciting. Those were both finishes. Um, obviously, he didn't win the belt the first time because of weight, um, but his last two performances has been special, and I think he really is a special fighter. Um, and especially for a low weight class like that, like I said, 125, after Cejudo won the belt, man, it looked like that weight class wasn't even going to be uh, around anymore. Dana White was talking about uh, just closing it up because there wasn't a lot of talent. There wasn't a lot of spark, but, man, this guy's the spark in it. And uh, it's, also, it's obviously interesting because uh, with Jan and Sterling uh, fight coming out, dropping out at 256, uh, Dana said they're going to turn Figueroa around and he's going to headline back-to-back pay-per-views in December. So that's just interesting as well. Yeah. What do you think about him defending his belt in like three weeks? And then that's crazy. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even like really process mm -hmm. that. He's, he's yeah. literally back-to-back pay-per-views. He's going to highlight yep. or he's going to main event mm -hmm. the next pay-per-view. That's crazy. For a division, like I said, that Dana was talking about this time a year ago, Dana was really talking about closing it down um, and not, not even having the division anymore. Um, and now to have them to kind of have them headline back-to-back pay-per-views and uh, and uh, have Figueredo be the star of it, it's pretty special. It's, it's special stuff, and, and I'm excited, man. Anytime you can get a star like this in the UFC, again, he's not going to be a global huge, you know, superstar, but but he's a star. He's a star in Brazil. He's a star for the UFC, and if you guys haven't checked him out, check him out, man. Again, it's special because he can fight, you know, in two three weeks, I believe, he's going to fight Brandon Moreno, the number one contender who also had a had a finished performance. Um Against Brandon Royval uh, on Saturday, so it's going to be pretty special. They're going to—they're both going to stay in Vegas. They're both going to stay right in training camp like they are. Um, I know Figueroa's had some tough time missing weight. He's missed weight, I think, twice in the UFC. Um, I was actually listening to uh, to DC Hawani about it, and he was saying that it might be easier for Figueroa to make weight because he's already kind of at that weight. But Joe Rogan made an interesting point. He said that he thought the, that that uh, Figueroa, who, who again weighs in at 125, so the way the UFC works is uh, you weight cut all week, you know, for a couple weeks, I should say. And then you weigh in, obviously, Friday morning at 9 a.m. in Vegas time. Uh, and you have to hit your championship weight, which is 125 for the flyweights. And then after that, you can rehydrate. And by Saturday, you know, 9 o'clock at night when he was fighting, Joe Rogan thought he was about 150 pounds, which, again, is incredible. 
Uh, you know, it's like Yoel Romero, a guy that blows up. It's like a guy like John Jones, a guy that blows up after, um, you know, they weigh in. So, you know, they blow up about 10, 15 pounds after rehydrating. But Joe Rogan thought he was a whole 25 pounds heavier. And he looks big in the octagon. He doesn't look like a 125er. But, again, it's special. And it's pretty cool, like you said, that he's turning right around and he's going to stay in Vegas. Same thing with Moreno. Um, and they're just going to fight in a month. So pretty special stuff. I don't want to look past the whole Moreno thing, but do you think uh, your boy Cody Nolov Garbrand is going to get a shot at him or no? I think so. Was, yeah, again, again, for, for, for Figueredo, don't I think so. That was that was the original. Yeah, um, that was the original fight that was supposed to be tonight. That was a, that was a big fight. Cody Nolov's a star, uh, for, former 135 champion. Um, as you look at Figueredo, you know, he can keep beating these, you know, number one contenders, which, again, looks good on his resume. Um, but the reason that Demetrius Johnson never was a really big champion because Demetrius Johnson is the greatest 125er of all time, and he defended the belt I think about eight or nine times, uh, maybe even ten, I, I believe. Um, I think from about 2013 to about 2018, I think almost like five years, 2019 until Cejudo beat him, uh, which he actually beat Cejudo before, so that that was impressive. But um, the reason he never really got the credit and he never really got the star power was because he didn't take you know big fights and nobody really ever came down to fight him. So to have Cody Nola, uh, Cody Nola of Garbrandt. Um, step step down, actually cut down, sorry, to 125 and fight him. That's just a name that Figueredo needs. You know, that'd be a huge name for him. That'd be a huge fight. That'd be another pay-per-view headliner. Um, and again, you know, like I said, figure it to top it off, to kind of wrap it up, Figueredo can keep fighting these number one contenders, but he needs big names on his resume if he wants to be a big star. And uh, Cody Garbrandt can be the first one for him. I think that's a competitive fight, though. I don't think Cody Garbrandt will have to cut too much weight to get down to 125, so I don't think it'll affect him too much. And uh, Cody Garbrandt's a big hitter, man. He just had that incredible knockout against the Sun Tau. I believe he had COVID, and that's why he dropped out of this fight. And I think he still has some sick signs of COVID. I have to look it up and get back to you guys. But I was reading something where, yeah, that he he had COVID, and he hasn't really healed from it still. He still has some resounding effects from it. So that's why he kind of was out of the fight. But hopefully they can make that fight, uh, like you said, in, in early 2021. Obviously, I'm not looking past Brandon Moreno. But um, you would expect Figueroa to kind of get the job done. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you is that it seems kind of inevitable. I mean, Henry Cejudo, he doesn't necessarily come from that Habib school of retirement. He's kind of always in the mix with his tweeting and calling people <laughs> out, calling out Ryan Garcia, calling out just random people. Yeah. But do you think that, well, one, it does seem inevitable he's going to come back, right? Yeah. And that's, is that a super fight to make, him and Figueredo? You know, that's tough because Cejudo fought at his – What did he come down? Is, what was his last that, fight at? 135. His last his last fight yeah. was at 135. His last two fights were at 135. Um, against Marlon Marais when he won the belt, and then um, against uh, uh, Dominic Cruz at uh, 249, where he uh, defended the belt. That's tough. You know, you, I'm sure Henry Cejudo hasn't been, you know, on too big of a weight cutting plan. Obviously, I'm sure he's not hasn't ballooned uh, up to you know up to heavyweight or anything like that. But it'd be tough for him to cut down to 125 again. And again, Figueroa's a natural 125er, and he looks good when he's in there at 125. Not saying that Cejudo doesn't or didn't, but uh, for Cejudo, I think his, I think if he comes back, I think it's at 135. I'm not sure if he can really come back and get down to 125 again. But again, he's an Olympian. He's a res. He's been wrestling his whole life. Cejudo has. Um, so who knows? He could have the natural drive to get down to 125. I'd love to see that fight. I'd love to see Cejudo fight at 125. I'd love to see him come back and fight at 135. But you're definitely right. He, he's definitely coming back. He, he. Uh, I think he's doing the whole, uh, hey, you guys remember me? You remember me? Kind of thing. Um, and, you know, Dana, again, Dana, when Dana said it before, you talk about retirement, he's not going to chase you. And you got to be real special for him to chase you out of retirement, uh, like Dana did with DC and, and Khabib. But, you know, Sohudo's no uh, 
no star like that. But but again, that that'd be a great fight for for Figueredo. I mean, you just brought up uh, Cody Nolov. You know, for you, a guy that's just getting kind of into the UFC and getting it's familiar with it. I mean, they, they, are, know, they know Cody. Exactly, a casual. Those are, two guys, those are two guys that you would get you excited, right? I mean, no, Brandon Moreno true. probably doesn't get you, you know, over the limit where you say, I have to watch that fight. But I think Cody Garbrandt and, and Cejudo both do that for you, right? No, a casual. No, a thousand percent. That'd be huge for, I mean, just looking at, what do you get? If you're a champion, you get a percentage of the pay-per-view buys. If you get a paper, pay-per-view, I mean, the Moreno pay-per-view and – this past pay-per-view, they they wouldn't even come close to what they do with a yeah, Cody No Love yeah. or a Henry no, Cejudo. Yeah, exactly. That'd I think be, I think you could you could obviously sell for, the UFC huge for mm-hmm. Figueredo. Yeah, you could obviously sell the sell the Cejudo fight, and you could obviously sell the Garbrandt fight. So uh, as as Figueredo is progressing, those are two fights that I definitely would love to see. All right, so let's move on to pretty big news: UFC 257, headlined by. I mean, the UFC's biggest star, maybe one of the I mean, one of the biggest stars in, I guess, the history of MMA, especially com- even combat sports. Conor McGregor will be headlining Uf- UFC 257. He'll be back January. What was that January 23rd? January 23rd of next year. January 23rd, yes, sir. He'll be facing Dustin Poirier. You were a little skeptical about this fight happening. Um, what are your thoughts now, now that it's official? Uh, I'm excited. You know, I, again, I was just skeptical because it's Connor, and, and you never, you never know what's going to happen with Connor. Um, I told, I said it a couple weeks ago. I didn't like the whole Connor and Dana uh, thing that was going on. I felt like they were both kind of jostling for position. And, and again, I knew this was going to happen. But for this to get announced as early as it is, I mean, I know it's crazy to say it's only you know less than two months out. I believe what's what today? It's actually, it's actually funny because this is the 23rd today. Yeah. So it's exactly two months out. Um. I didn't think they were going to announce it until maybe early December, but hey, it seems like they got the deal done. Again, I never figured it wouldn't get done. I was just skeptical about when it got announced. I didn't want to jinx it, um, but I'm excited, man, to, to have Connor come back. Um, I, I'm obviously one of the bigger Connor fans. I'm sure you know. Um, I, I'm excited. Anytime you can get Connor in the Octagon, um, I've been looking at his stuff on social media, the stuff he's been posting, the stuff he's been saying. Um, his head coach, John Cavanaugh, has been posting. His striking coach, John uh, Owen Rohde, has been posting. I'm just excited, man. He looks motivated. He looks good. Um, it's obviously going to be at 155, so it's going to be a little bigger, a tougher weight cut than usual. It's only going to be his second, third. I'm sorry, his third fight at 155. Um, so, so that's going to be interesting. Again, I don't. I'm not worried about him cutting weight, but it, it is a little different than him fighting welterweight like he fought against Cowboy in, in the ideas fights. But uh, I'm just excited. Um, it, it's funny because it's going to happen about a year later. I think he fought Cerrone, obviously last January. I believe it was the 17th. So a year later, he finally gets his fight. You know, after that Cerrone fight, he talked about a season and fighting three or four times. Um, if he wins and he gets the job done against Dustin, a tough opponent, um, he's going to be saying the same things. You know, how he's going to want to fight three or four times um, to to, to kind of make his way back up to the top like he wants to be. Um, it, it's going to be interesting because obviously him and him and Dustin have fought before back at UFC 178. Uh, it was an early finish for Connor, uh, but again, that was that that was that featherweight. Dustin wasn't the fighter that he is now. Neither was Connor. Um, that's when Connor was just kind of hitting his star level in the UFC. So it'll be interesting how it um, how it's progressed from now. Again, Dustin's a tough tough opponent, but you know Connor's Connor, and, and I think that's kind of what I'd say about the fight. If you ask me for kind of an early prediction, um, I think I think Connor's just skills uh, are just head above Dustin's. I think that's been proven, and I, I'd, I'd expect Connor to get the job done. What do you what do you think about the fight? I'm sure you're just excited as me, right? No, for sure. Yeah, it's gonna be a big time event. Probably the biggest. I mean, this is probably do a minimum. I'd say a, a million 
pay-per-view buys. But one thing I wanted to ask you was oh, that. Oh, come on. More than that. What, what, did, what did Usman and, and, and Kevin, what did Usman and, and Nasir did, uh, did, like 1.5, right? No, for sure. I mean, I'm pretty sure the Cerrone fight did around a million. But one thing I wanted to ask you is that I think anybody that even follows casually, the UFC would say that Poirier isn't even really in the class of one, like a, a Donald Cerrone. But I want to get your thoughts on these, the betting odds. Conor McGregor, a 225 favorite, and then on the take back, Poirier, plus 175. What do you think about that? I thought, personally, just just accounting for all the public money that's going to be on Conor, I feel like this is going to close Conor minus 275-ish. But what are your thoughts on the betting odds? Uh, it's around the same that it started with the Cerrone thing. It's around the same. And the Cerrone thing ended at about minus 330 for Conor and plus, I think, 425 for Cowboy. So, again, all the money is going to start rolling in on Conor. Um, I, I just kind of laid it out for you. I think Conor's skills are a lot better than Poirier. Poirier has been in some wars, man. I mean, you look at his last four fights. I mean, it, it, they've just been wars. I mean, just let's 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 just look at his last two. Um, one one obviously was against Habib, which again, you know, was a tough tough fight. And then that fight against Dan Hooker, uh, that fight was a war. And Dan Hooker left that fight bloodied, and his eyes were all big, and and Dustin didn't leave it looking the prettiest either. So Dustin Poirier is known for these big time wars, uh, where he where he gets hit and he you know he gives out punches, but he gets hit a lot. Uh, Max Holloway hit him a lot when he won the interim belt. Uh, when Poirier won the interim belt, beating Max Holloway, uh, he 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 had a war against Justin Gaethje. He had a war against Eddie Alvarez. So I, I'm not discrediting crediting uh, Poirier's skills. Um, he's obviously been one of the top guys in the world on the lightweight division for a while. But again, the 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 give and return. I don't know if Poirier will be able to take it. I know, I know he can give out punches, but again, can you take them the same way? And you can, you know, fight Max Holloway and you can fight Eddie Alvarez and have these wars against Dan Hooker. But when Connor's in there hitting you, I think it's a whole different story. So to to look at the odds, I'd say it'll probably close with Connor being obviously a bigger favorite than what he is now. Um, I'm not I'm not saying Poirier's you know this slouch, but again, I, I just look at the wars Poirier's been in. And you know he he gives he has a lot of output uh, with his punches, but he also takes a lot of in takes a lot of punches in, and and I think Connor's skills just just get the job done on that. So I would say the betting lines about right. I'd probably think it's going to kick up a little bit. Obviously, like you said, how the money's going to come in on Connor, but um, I, I definitely favor Connor. Connor pretty pretty big in this fight. Well, for, well, one thing I wanted to ask you for sure was that. Where the fuck is this fight happening? I'm confused because they said it's supposed to be at this new Etihad Arena. Is that not on Phylon? Yeah, no, it, it it is. It's the arena. It's the arena that Abu Dhabi just built. It's a beautiful arena. It's an arena for for state for shows. It's an arena for concerts. It's an arena for I believe it's a basketball arena, but uh, it's a beautiful arena. It's got skyboxes that are all beautiful. You have to check out the YouTube video. Um, I think, believe Dana White put out, a, put out a. Yeah, it's all done. It's on the fight. It's on the the fight island stuff that espn plus did uh it's all done it, again if it, it, without covid and stuff they would have already had events already and stuff um if the fight's in there man it, it's going to be beautiful and dana's talked about again i, I don't see how connor comes to the apex um it's kind of tough shit for poirier because he's obviously got to travel and do the time change and everything um but i don't see them putting connor in the apex i think connor's an abu dhabi guy and even like i mentioned the the uh, the Habib fight that uh, Dana mentioned even the week of the fight that he was trying to get fans in there, um, and obviously he can see more than what the Apex can. So I think that's that's the move they're going to make. They're going to put the fight in Abu Dhabi. Um, I know I know it's kind of hard to think about, but obviously Abu Dhabi's got probably different restrictions, and obviously the bubble 
is a lot easier to get fans in then with everybody being tested and, and the island kind of just being for the UFC. So I could see definitely Dana pulling something off and, and putting some fans in the stands for Connor. But that oh, at the end arena, like you mentioned, like. Is, is definitely beautiful. And, and I'd love to see Connor fighting there. Not not just this time, but again, moving forward. No, that's crazy. Yeah, it sounds like it's supposed to be. I know he was, uh, he's been quoted saying they're supposed to be like, for sure, they said they're supposed to put fans or it's supposed to be like parties and mm-hmm. shit going on over there. So how does that work? You have to yeah. get COVID tests just to get on the island? I think they were saying that they were gonna do the, they were gonna do exactly what UFC fighters have to do. You have to quarantine in Vegas. You have to court, you have to get tested fans, before you leave. Jesus. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it'll always be limited fans. Um, it'll probably be first class tickets uh, as you go. But but what's cool about it is Dana's talked about when everything clears up, and again, who who knows when all that's gonna happen. Happen, but making it like a fan experience, you know, to travel for for other pay per views down the line. When obviously, you know, you don't need to quarantine or you don't need to self-isolate. Um, he's talked about making Fight Island sort of. I mean, he he's building Fight Island. I mean, he built Fight Island for the UFC. And they've kind of got that 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 territory marked now. And with that Etihad Arena, man, that, that's going to be the new MGM uh, <laughs> uh, uh, International. It's going to be the new MGM Grand. It's going to be the new T-Mobile uh, Arena International. And I really hope Connor's able to fight there because it's a beautiful arena. And, again, all signs are pointing towards him getting fans in there. Um, Dana White's a smart businessman. I think he sees an opportunity to put fans in there with Connor. I, I think he's going to do it. You, you you'd bet on Dana White, right? No, for sure. Uh, just a quote here. It says, "Yeah, this is what Dana said. He said, I'm ready for I'm ready for some fights with fans. I'm ready to go to a live concert. I'm ready to have some parties. I want to mingle with the fans again. I want the fans back. We have to figure <laughs> this out. We'll, fi- we'll figure it out how to do the same thing. Pull this thing off in Abu Dhabi." Would you, yeah, if you I, let's say th- let's say theoretically, if you were if you were able to get work off, would you want to travel to Abu Dhabi for a UFC two fifty seven? Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to be working for us now. Can I put in my request now? I'd fucking love to go to fucking Abu Dhabi. I don't know. I just isn't it like supposed to be fucking hot as shit over there though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, time it, change. You're on an is. airplane yeah. for what, like fifteen hours. Yeah. I'd love it. I, I'd love to go. No, it, it'd probably be down the line. You know, like I said, with, with Dana uh, uh, making it a fan experience, sort of. Um, but that that'd be sweet. That'd be an experience of a lifetime. I, I'd I'd love to go absolutely. Right now, probably a little tougher. Uh, you know, with the whole, I think you gotta you have to quarantine. I don't know what the rules are about coming back into the country, but I'm sure you have to quarantine for at least seven days, right? So, you know, you're talking about missing almost a month off of work uh, to watch Conor McGregor fight, which would be 100% worth it. But uh, I don't know if I could pull that one off. One last little bit that we just kind of thought of right now. Let's talk about Tony Ferguson returning. After he lost his, was it inter, didn't he lose his interim belt? Uh, he, he had oh, an no, interim just belt. The number one contender uh, he spot? lost the interim title fight. He lost the interim title fight to Gaethje. Was that wait one the one thing I was gonna I forgot I remember what I was gonna ask you about Connor. Did they name that a interim title fight or no? No, they didn't. No, no, they didn't. No, Dana's okay. still Dana's still holding out. Uh, that that Habib, Habib that Habib will, will be back. Yeah. No, but our man Tony Ferguson is returning UFC 256. He will be facing Charles Oliveira. That had a lot of people scratching their heads and they're wondering what was the reason of bringing Michael Chandler. Well, what do you think his next fight is? What do you think his deal is? I know it seemed like he tried to big time Tony Ferguson in a couple of tweets, but I know he he did the replacement, got paid, did the little weight cut for the backup of the Habib Gaethje fight. But what what are your thoughts on Ferguson returning? And then what's what's Michael Chandler's deal? What, what's, he, <laughs> well, what's he there for? I'll, I'll, I'll get to Michael Chandler in a minute. But uh, no, it's exciting to have Tony Ferguson back. 
Uh, Tony Ferguson is one of the most exciting fighters. Um, it's a little iconic, right? Almost like oh yeah, his, interv- his his interviews are great. His walkouts great. It's funny. He's actually the 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 inspiration for our uh, incoming song for our uh, intro song. We, uh, the party's just begun. That's his walkout song. It's the first time I heard the song. Um, Charles Oliveira is a tough opponent. He just beat Kevin Lee. It was actually the first uh, actual uh, fight uh, UFC fight with COVID. Remember, it was that week when uh, they were in Brazil and they ended up uh, canceling the fans. It was the first fight. It was the first main event. Charles Oliveira, Charles Oliveira beat Kevin Lee. Charles Oliveira's won seven fights in a row. But it's exciting to have Tony Ferguson back. He's been calling for it. Um, he's been asking for it. Um, as far as Michael Chandler, I, I, I just I don't understand it. Um, I, I think it started as kind of like a thing for for Dana to kind of get because obviously the, the original plan. Let, let's go all the way back to, to UFC 254 with the The original plan was to have Tony and Poirier fight in the co-main event um, under Habib and Gaethje, and, and they were they were going to be the two backup fighters. It was going to work. It was going to work kind of weird because it, it, it was supposed to be Gaethje and Habib, and then on the under on the co-main was Poirier and Tony. So if Habib would have dropped out, and it would have been Ferguson, it, it would have been Poirier stepping in because Gaethje had just beaten Ferguson. And then if 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 um, Gaethje couldn't go, Gaethje had dropped out and he couldn't go. Tony Ferguson would have stepped in because Habib had just beaten uh, Poirier, so it was a little weird. So that happens. That fight doesn't get made. Uh, it, it, it was it was the rumor was that Poirier kind of was asking for more money. So Tony drops out and says, "I don't even want to fight. I only want to fight Poirier." So Dana comes in. And Michael Chandler had been a free agent from Bellator. Michael Chandler comes into the equation. Dana signs him. Dana puts him in the title. Fight. Dana puts him in as the backup. He says he's going to make weight. He's not going to get another fight. That was that was weird in itself. Again, that happens. The fight goes through. Habib wins. So now you're looking at Michael Chandler saying, okay, you're ready to fight. Michael Chandler says he just had a tough weight cut, and he just went through a whole training camp, and he feels like he already went through a fight by just making weight. Doesn't make any sense to me. Then Tony Ferguson jumps in and he wants to fight. He wants to fight Michael Chandler. That seems to be the natural fight to make. That'd be a great fight to make. Everybody that 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 Tony Ferguson for years has been at the top of the lightweight division. He's never really held an undisputed belt, but he's always been up there at two, at one, at three. You know, he's been right up there at the rankings. For Michael Chandler to come into the UFC, it'd be a great fight to make. Tony says, let's do it on December 12th, which is pay-per-view, the 256, which Tony eventually ends up going to be fighting on. Michael Chandler says, no, I already have a fight booked for that. I already have a fight booked. But if it's not against Tony, if Poirier and Connor are doing the whole thing, what is Michael Chandler really doing? He's just kind of standing on the sideline, if you ask me, begging for a title shot, which I don't think he's going to get. Just because he got put in as the backup fighter, now he feels like he's the number one contender. The guy hasn't even fought in the UFC yet. (laughs) Tony Ferguson's been fighting for fucking years. Dustin Poirier working his way up for fucking years. Connor, he's already been a UFC lightweight champion. It just doesn't make any sense what Michael Chandler's trying to do right now. The only thing I can really think about and really say is that it's going to be Chandler versus uh, Gaethje. That's the only thing I can really think of. Because because if you look at it, you look at this five. We talked about we talked about the four guys. Uh, I'm sorry, five guys in the lightweight division. You looked about Habib, Connor, Poirier, Tony, Chandler. That's five guys. You look at it now. Connor and Poirier, you put them off. Tony's now fighting. Again, not even the guy we talked about. You put him off. All that leaves 
Habib says he's retired, all that leaves is Chandler and Gaethje. That's the only thing I can think of. But for Michael Chandler, I, I, I'm not sure his his negotiating tactics that he's trying to play right now. I mean, sh- oh. I'm sure for you, it's it's just as confusing as it is to me, right? No, a thousand percent. I I just want to ask you to like trying to explain it to the casual person who who is Michael Chandler? Is it like a is it like a cross sport comp- comparison? Even... How do you even compare it to a guy that was in like a different league but in the same sport, but he's really hot? I guess he was a hot name for the UFC. Like you have no idea. No, I don't even know. Who, I've never seen him fight. The only time I know, the only time I know he fought when I look back on his record was he's beaten uh, Eddie Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez, good fighter. Don't get me wrong. The guy Connor beat at two four five. Good fighter. He was a UFC champion. But I don't even know who the fuck this guy is. You remember that a couple of years ago when that point guard, uh, I believe from Spain, came in. About is it Ted Dosich? I think his name was Teodosic. The Clippers guy, right? You remember when he came? Yeah, Teodosic. And everybody was like, he's 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 thirty one. He's typing him up. They're like, he's been playing overseas. Yeah. It's like, if he hasn't been in the big show, what the hell's he been doing? Yeah. So I, I, I have no idea about Michael Chandler. I mean, for me, he, he, he's trying to, like I said, wait out for a title shot that's just not coming. I mean, let's be honest. Connor wins on, on in January. Connor's getting the shot. Let's be honest. Chandler's got to fight. Chandler's got to fight. He's got to shut up and just fight. Again, they, they, they told Tony that Chandler was already booked. Only thing I can think of is Chandler Gaethje. Yeah, so I think we hit all our talking points here. I think you want to bring in a listener question. Yeah, we didn't. Uh, we question. didn't have a lot of them. We didn't have a lot of them this week, but uh, we got one from Faka Jacob, a normal uh, listener. Obviously, hopefully, a guest on the pod. If he's uh, not too busy next week, we can bring him in. Uh, it'd be great to have him on. All right, here we go. What are you guys' thoughts on the value between head coach and quarterback? What is the first move as a new GM? Get your quarterback or get your head coach first? Or who is more important to a team's success? In my opinion, it's the head coach. That's a tough question. You wanna you wanna take this one? Yeah, I feel like I feel like a head coach is so important because just the whole culture, like the way a coach can change a culture, like I mean we've seen with McVay, Shanahan a little bit. But unless you have like a generational talent quarterback and then like I mean, nine times out of ten, you're not you're just gonna have an above average guy. I think it's more just the uh, I think it's certainly more important to have just that face of your franchise be your coach, especially nowadays, specifically to offense, where the game is kind of tailored to. Um, I think this, is this kind of like a do you think this is like a bear centric question that he's kind of kind of asking about? Kind well, of I think might yeah, be, I think might be looking for a quarterback, a, might be looking for a coach. I think it's a bear centric question, and obviously the one everybody's going to go to is all is all is going to be Belichick Brady this year as well. Yeah. So uh, if you ask me, I mean, it's – I mean, you'd love to have both, right? <laughs> you'd love to have yeah. a good coach. You'd love to have a good quarterback, both. I mean, let's just take a couple instances. Let's just give a couple situations and instances. I mean, look at look at the way, look at the what Kyler Murray's done for Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury was a questionable hire at best. I mean, that, that that's being nice about it. But look at what Kyler Murray's done. And look at how familiar Kyler Murray is with Cliff Kingsbury and kind of how comfortable Cliff Kingsbury made Kyler Murray. And so he's been comfortable. But you obviously turn it and look at a different situation in Houston. Bill O'Brien, one of the best quarterback coaches. I mean, Coach Tom Brady, he had some nice quarterbacks at Penn State. He has Deshaun Watson, one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league, and it doesn't work out. So I think it's not so much if you have a talented quarterback and if you have a talented coach because there's talented quarterbacks in the NFL losing right now. I mean, look at Joe Burrow. He, he, you know, he, he's obviously hurt, but before that, he wasn't winning a lot of games in his rookie year. Look at Deshaun Watson. I mean, his team's three and seven, you know, and then, but you can spin it and look at a guy like, look at a guy, like I said, like I said, just said, Curly Murray, he's comfortable with his coach and they're winning games. 
So I, I think you need a little bit of both. You'd love to have a little bit of both, but I, I would lean on the side of getting your quarterback first and then kind of figuring out a coach that's going to make the quarterback comfortable and, and is going to kind of progress him the right way. What uh, have you talked to? Have you talked to Jake lately about the Bears? How's he feeling? Where is he there? Where is he with them? I have not. Like I said, we're going to have to get him on next week and see how he's feeling. I have not. They had a bye week this week, so a little bit easier on him. Um, but uh, I believe he's looking for Trubisky back in to really? come back to in and back? save the day. No, that's cool. Yeah, right. what, uh, that, that's, that, that, that's where he's at right now. As we wrap up the listener question, one thing I wanted to say is that um, whoever's listening, for the whole listener question, it doesn't have to be like like just throw us a curveball. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be yeah. specifically to a sport. Just if you want to throw something random in there, like throw something like random. 90, yeah, just throw us a little curveball. It doesn't always have to be like specifically to what we talk about ninety nine percent of the time. I like but. it. I like it. Also, also as we're wrapping up, we're still out there looking for a name. I think we got a couple that we're honing in on. Uh, hopefully by the next week we'll have one hunkered down, and uh, we'll make a big announcement about it, and uh, we'll get it out there to people. Let's go to our final segment of the of our podcast. Really, our kind of our only segment, Dog of the Week. Joel, lead us off. Where, where are you going with your Dog of the Week? My Dog of the Week, and it's going to be a special shout out and some good luck to Mr. Iron Mike Tyson this weekend. Dude's coming back. Uh, after I believe about almost an eight-year layoff, jump in the ring with uh, Roy Jones Jr. Um, you were telling me about some of the stipulations today. Uh, we'll, we'll see how all that hands up uh, stands up with the no knockdown and the no judges and all that. Um, but I can't wait. I'm excited. My, uh, Mike Tyson is definitely my dog of the week, and uh, I'm excited to see him fight. Excited to see him jump back in there. What are your thoughts on that fight? No, oh, it's gonna be. I mean, I it's gonna be I, a spectacle, right? It's gonna be a spectacle, thing- right? No, for sure. I think we all got to take it for granted. I don't know about paying 50 bucks for it personally, but I think we all just kind of, like I told you guys in the, in the group, as we kind of just kind of expectations, we just got to limit it. But I think to summarize it, I mean, like you said it, you know, what you kind of reminded me of when you, okay, so let me just read the text you said. You said, do I need to explain that it's Mike fucking Tyson? It kind of reminds me of Jackie Moon when he's talking about the, uh, the Flip Michigan Mega Bowl. He's all, it's yeah. a Flip Michigan Mega Bowl. Flip Michigan Mega Bowl. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, that's what it kind of shoot off confetti. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but... He's, it's about ten feet tall. <laughs> but yeah, no, no it's... It, like I said, dude, I don't have to explain to you. It's Mike fucking Tyson. Mike Tyson could be shooting, could be playing ping pong, and I'd be interested. But for him to step into a ring with no headgear against a against a game opponent, and Roy Jones Jr. Roy Jones Jr. Well, he fought like, one he of fought the like best a ever ago. fight, man. He fought like a couple Roy, years yeah, Roy ago. Roy Jones Jr. fought it in 2018. So it's going to be interesting, man. I really can't wait. Mike Tyson has been putting all this stuff out on social media. It's got a lot of attention. Again, it, it's hard to kind of gauge a pay-per-view number. Um, I know this is a tough weekend as well, obviously being Thanksgiving weekend. But um, I, I think it'll do a good number. I mean, again, it's Mike fucking Tyson. So uh, I'm excited. I can't really wait. Yeah, so I'll go with my uh, my dog of the week is actually going to go to a sport we didn't really talk about. I just want to go to a little bit of basketball. Let's talk about um, I want to talk about Rob Palenka. I think he had an excellent offseason. I think he did an excellent job uh, managing this team. I mean, this team is obviously a little bit different than other ones. He was able to stay flexible. He was able to um, – I, I can't believe they were able to keep KCP. They got Schroeder. They traded away Danny Green. They signed Trez. They just signed Mark Gasol. Um, they brought back a Morris twin. One thing I was going to ask you is maybe you watch a little bit more – maybe you're a little bit more honed in 
especially Marcus Morris. You're a little bit more honed in on Marcus Morris. How did Markeith Morris get the minimum and Marcus Morris got four years, 64 million? How, how did that happen? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm honed in. I'm honed in. I love basketball, but I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, I mean, you, uh, you, you watch Marcus I'm not Morris a for a couple of years. Oh, I, I do like Marcus Morris. I like, I love Marcus Morris, but he shoots too much. Every time he gets the ball, he shoots too much. And I don't see him really fitting in with that Clippers. The only thing I can really think of, obviously the Clippers were capped out. Um, Ballmer's trying to just win right now. And Marcus Morris got really lucky by saying, Hey, Give me this money. Maybe down the line he could be a trade chip that they could throw in. Um, I have no idea. Again, I don't see much difference in the Morris brothers. I actually think Markeith was pretty good for the Lakers uh, last year. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, again, on the minimum, so he's coming back on a minimum. But, yeah, to, to pay one Morris brother, you know, like you said, what was it, four for 64? Yeah. Incredible, 16 a year. And then pay one the minimum uh, when I don't really see much difference in both of them. I think Markeith is uh, – Markeith Mar- – Marcus – there's a little bit better with Markeith, but $16 million more, I'm not too sure. But I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, again, it, it's hard to say because obviously the Lakers are defending champs and you want the gap to kind of be tightened. But I, I love what they did. I mean, again, I love Dennis Schroeder. I think he's one of my favorite players in the league. He's an absolute dog on the court. Uh, that should have been your dog of the week. You could have just ended it with that one. Um, I love the way he's going to play next to – again, he's going to be a little bit younger. I I think he's a little bit younger than Rondo, if you ask me. I, I know he hasn't played in the big games like Rondo has, but uh, if he could get the experience and he could play kind of the full role that Rondo played, uh, I, I like it. I think he'll play a lot more games than Rondo as well. I don't think he has injury history. Um, I love the Marcus Gasol training. Uh, I think Marcus Gasol is a good guy off the bench. Again, a guy that's probably not going to play a lot in the regular season. But when it comes down in the postseason, he's a guy you want in your rotation. And then um, the Montrezl Hill signing, that that was just out of nowhere, right? I mean, nobody saw no, that. Out of left field. Yeah, but, so uh, I, I think what'll be fun. What'll be fun about him is he could probably play the center position on offense, and then defensively, AD can kind of play the center position and, and you know oh, kind of help sure. Trez Harrell uh, on the defensive side. So I, I think the Lakers had a really good offseason, and I couldn't agree more about Rob Palinka. You know, give him some credit, man. He 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 made the last he made the right signings last offseason to put around LeBron, and I think he's doing it two years in a row. And what I love about it is he's not settling for just the championship. You know, he's trying to build his team. He's trying to make them better. And he's squ- – again, the Lakers don't have a lot of resources. They didn't have a lot of cap room. They didn't have a lot of assets. And he's just squeezing every little bit of it he can out. And that's what the good GMs do. That's what the GM in Golden State does. That's what the Spurs have always done. That's what Pat Riley does in Miami. They just kind of squeeze every single asset, every little thing they got, it, it just to maximize the talent. And I think they've actually done that. And and I don't know how you feel about this. I've been meaning to ask you, is they still have an asset in Kuzma. I mean, I know oh, Kuzma yeah. doesn't fit too well in LA, but another team, you know, he could fit in. He could fit on another team, you know, where where he's a little bit more of a scoring option. No, oh, right, yeah, I, d- I could definitely see them. I mean, he, he feels like he survived like three different like periods of times when people thought they were going to trade him. But I could definitely see him moving off him and like some team just taking a chance on him, seeing what they got, and kind of mm-hmm. see if he has any untapped potential. Yeah, but I could definitely yeah. see them um, somebody who fits a little bit more better with this team and not maybe yeah because with, with, with the signing shots of, rather than being in this kind of fixed role mm-hmm. with the signing of Harrell and, and with the, with the signing of Gasol I mean those are two centers right there so and then AD is obviously going to eat up a lot of minutes at the four you don't need Kyle Kuzma really to play I believe they signed Wesley Matthews too right yeah. so he can play some three so again you, you have that asset in Kuzma and, you know, maybe you flip Kuzma from one player, you know, just one player in Kuzma to two players, and, and you kind of max out, again, the value of your roster. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. But, yeah, the dog of the league, Rob Palenka, just the way he's been maneuvering when it felt like 
it felt like they were kind of pigeonholed. Like they didn't really have um, mm-hmm. a lot of, they didn't really have room to improve. But I mean, I was pretty shaky going, or I felt shaky going into last year. I was a little worried about like how the team would fit, but it ended up working out. But I mean, you know me, I'm one of the most pessimistic sports fans out there. One, one more thing. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, there was one more thing from Brian Windhorst today. He had that report out that AD might sign a one and one to uh, to keep flexibility for Giannis next season. Yeah. As a Laker I, fan, I'm sure. That, that's crazy. As a Laker that, fan, I'm sure that's, that's crazy that's, talk. They just got to. Yeah. I, I'm not looking. I didn't really read that much into it. I, I feel like that's a little bit crazy. I think they just got to worry about this team and. A lot of these guys haven't really played together a lot. You have the, I mean, you're gonna have Schroeder, Trez, Marcus All, Wes Matthews. Um, just try to, I'm just worried about this here. Got to put it together. I know it's not, probably not gonna look as pretty as you think it would look early. So I, I mean, especially with the shorter off season, um, just got to take care of business. Put it together. All right. Yeah, that's gonna wrap up our podcast. We'll catch you guys next week, same time, same yep. place. Uh, Thanks, everybody who listened. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for all the interactions and everything, for sure.